We have a big weekend ahead. We could have all sorts of protests and violence, and we could have a very interesting Browns win. We hope, anyway. It's this week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, here with my colleagues, Laura Johnston, Jane Cahoon, and Chris Ranowski. Let's stay on the upside. Go Browns! Yes. Go Browns. I like your optimism. Yeah. I also like how chipper you were about potential violence. You yeah, seem <laughs> chipper about the potential violence. I'm worried. We've been doing all yeah. sorts of strategizing to keep our people safe because nothing's more important. And some of these loons are targeting journalists. It's a scary time. Let's get started. What is Ohio Governor Mike DeWine and others doing to protect Columbus and the State House from any potential damage from Donald Trump supporters bent on committing violence as Joe Biden's inauguration approaches. Jane Cahoon, it's a I feel like we've stepped back into the 70s and it's worse. I mean, <laughs> it's volatile as hell. There's crazy people everywhere. They are armed to the teeth. So what is Dwine doing to make sure that the city is protected? Well, there's there's going to be a big show of strength around the state capitol. They're going to have highway patrol officers, Columbus police, the National Guard, and they're closing the Ohio State House from Sunday through Wednesday. And as of Thursday, it's it's surrounded by by fencing and there's already troopers outside. We saw one guy up on the roof there, you know. So, they if you know, if and when the protesters come out, they are going to see this show of strength. DeWine and the highway patrol head and the um, the head of the Ohio National Guard, as well as the Columbus mayor and the Columbus police chief, had a briefing on Thursday where they kind of laid this all out, although they're obviously not releasing their security plan. But, you know, and they said they don't know, you know, how many protesters to expect. But they, they, they stress that, you know, they want to provide a safe place for people who legitimately want to exercise their First Amendment rights peacefully. But at the same time, they said they're, they're not going to tolerate any bad actors who want to commit violence, you know, who show up there with the intent to do that. So hence the show of force. And we know in Cleveland, we're going to be having some of the same things that are closing down city hall and buildings. You, you know, you, you and Chris, I think, mentioned this yesterday. Chris Warnowski mentioned yesterday that that these protesters are starting to tell each other, hey, th- this is a trap. Don't go to the capitals. They just want to take your guns and all sorts of nonsense. You do wonder if this incredible show of force you're seeing in the capitals and in the U.S. Capitol, what plan B is for these folks? Like if they're not, if they realize, okay, going to the Capitol, we're going to get stuffed because we're outgunned by, by real people who know how to do this. What do they do as an alternative? It's a little frightening to think because we really haven't heard much about that. Yeah. I mean, you look back at like what happened in Michigan when, when those people were plotting to kidnap and possibly kill Governor Gretchen Whitmer, you know, who knows what kind of fringe plots there are out there. Hopefully the intelligence is picking up on all that stuff. And Chris, you said that there's now a federal court filing where they say the motive was to kidnap and harm politicians on the 6th in D.C. Yeah, that came out late yesterday. And and so it's it's sort of starting to become I, I think every day that passes, everything that happened on the 6th seems 
a little more sinister and, and a little more dangerous. But I think I think one of the things that's probably going to keep people away is just looking at the sheer amount of people they're starting to take into custody. I mean, it, it's I don't know if they ever thought that the surveillance and intelligence mechanisms of the United States would be used against them because they're a largely white crowd. <laughs> but 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 it did. And so, you know, it's you know, I, I'm not one for over surveillance and over policing, but here's a here's a situation where where I think a group of people thought they might get away with this. I just I don't understand how you conceivably think you could walk into the U.S. Capitol not being monitored. I think I read somewhere that I think this was in another court filing that basically implied that if you if you had a cell phone that was on and walked in that building on the sixth, they're going to find you. And and while that's good for taking people into custody, it also terrifies me as as somebody who hates surveillance. But but I think what I think what I you and I talked about this yesterday, and I think what's what's a little strange is that you know the the Ohio State Capitol has to shut down because they're worried about armed protesters, but that's because of their own rules. They can't tell people to come that, that come on to state grounds that they can't bring guns, you know, <laughs> they, they, they've allowed people to come onto these properties with guns. And so the alternative was, well, let's just close it all down. And well, and- beyond that, just because Dwine signed it a week ago, all I have to do is say, I was afraid of you threatening me where I can gun you down. The stand your ground law could apply in this thing when people get together with guns. I was looking at, you know, with all of the social media sites, locking these people out, and they've moved to some others. I was looking at a couple, um, you know, and it is the craziest nonsense that you see on there. I mean, they're just they're living in delusion land. But one of the things that th- that I've seen repeatedly now is, you know, the and I get this from our readers all the time, the conservative readers that believe this this nonsense that, you know, the election fraud claims are not nonsense. They, they weren't proven false. They just weren't proven true. And that's just BS. They, I mean, these these claims were investigated and audited sometimes two and three times. There was no fraud. But it must be coming from Fox News and other other sleazy reporting outfits to say, well, you know, they weren't proven false. They just weren't proven true, which is nonsense. They, they've been proven false. There is absolutely no evidence whatsoever of fraud. And yet, these people all are convinced that the presidency is being stolen from Donald Trump. It, it boggles the mind that we're dealing with two completely universes of fact. Well, you know how I know it's true? Because the president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> OK, then. Well, and you know, that's that's one of the strategies of somebody that wants to be an authoritarian. You make people not believe any other source and you are the only source. And, you know, with these people at work, Donald Trump is their source, even though for four years he pretty much did nothing but lie to the American people. Well, he he's not their source on Twitter, that's for sure. No, no. Well, and that's the other story you're seeing. They're all kind of lost because their leader isn't telling them what to do. Anyway, well, uh, the Washington Post did a fascinating story. They traced four years of his his kind of incitement kind of communication along with how his fellow Republicans said this isn't a big deal. You know, you, you can't take him literally. You just have to understand what he's what he's really saying. And it's a great it's a long piece. It goes through quite a few of them, but it's frightening the progression that got us to where we are now. You're listening to this week in the CLE. What are the charges against the former Cleveland schools employee who was one of the insurrectionists who broke into the Capitol last week to overturn the November election of Joe Biden as president? Chris Wanaski, we've talked about this person. Uh, we've seen her picture. She's right there front and center. Uh, what 
is she charged with and what is the status of her case? Um, so Christine Priola, who we finally named after she was officially charged yesterday, um, is a former occupational therapist with Cleveland schools. Uh, she was arrested Thursday morning and she faces charges of knowingly entering or remaining in a restricted building, violent entry and unlawful activities on Capitol grounds. She was released on a recognizance bond um, and her travel has been restricted to Northern Ohio as part of her condition for, for being allowed to remain free until her case is resolved. Um, and she's currently being represented by public defenders. Um, if you remember, we talked about this earlier in the week, uh, the uh, federal authorities visited her home um, it was late Friday of last week and, and took some stuff out of her house. I think they took some, some electronics and some signs and some things. Um, but she was, she was photographed, you know, in the, in the, I believe it was the U S Senate chamber, uh, standing up where the, the, the Senate leader state, you know, sits during sessions and, um, she was holding up a phone. I, I don't know if she was talking or she was showing, it looks like she was showing somebody something on it. And she was carrying a sign that that had a QAnon slogan on it, and she was uh, smiling. Man, she was in in rapture being in being there. Mm-hmm. You could see it in her face. What's fa- I mean, it's interesting because, it, and and we're still sort of looking into her background a little bit. But what what little we've been able to glean from from what was publicly available, um, she's been divorced a couple of times, and and we did get her personnel file from the school district, which you know she stepped down from. Um, Last week before, you know, her arrest, you know, she said she's going to become one of the great American pedophile hunters. And it looks like she was a pretty good employee of the school district. And and she had very glowing reviews Uh, by all accounts. She was very good with the the children that she worked with. And and it, it, it seems like her colleagues had a lot of respect for her. So it's you have to wonder where things kind of took a turn for her. And and when it comes to this QAnon stuff. So how how serious are these charges? I mean, is this the kind of thing that can lock you up in prison for a long time or is it, you know, almost the level of federal misdemeanor? Um kind of I mean it's it's federal misdemeanor. You know, she's not accused of of you know anything overly violent. I mean, there's uh, you know, she's not accused of assault. I mean, she's accused of something called violent entry, which, you know, I don't I don't know what kind of sentence that carries, but but you know, she, she's not charged with the bigger things that I think you're going to see some of the other people who, who were, you know, beating up cops and and things like that. There's no, there's no video or evidence that she took part in any of that. I guess though, as they continue to investigate this, if they find communication by people who talked about kidnapping or hurting the legislators, it could, it could turn it into something bigger. This investigation is a week old and every day, as you've mentioned previously, we're getting revelations that make it sound much more organized and much more sinister than just a bunch of deranged hooligans running around with horns on their head in the Capitol. I think there's there's some of that. And then I think there's you know, I think there are people who use that as as cover. You know, I think there's a mix of what you call the delusional people and and people who were really you know, almost trained and focused on, on, on doing maximum harm. So they are uh, delusional people, Chris. It's not, <laughs> it's calling them that. If they believe that the election was stolen from Donald Trump, they are delusional. Let's move on. It's this week in the CLE. 
Ohio Governor Mike DeWine acknowledged Thursday that his coronavirus vaccine plan has a lot of inconvenience, especially for the older people now on their own to get their shots. But Ohio is not alone in putting the onus on people to find their own vaccine providers and make their own arrangements. Some states have found other ways, however. Laura Johnston, what are some of the other ways states are using to get this vaccine out? Yeah, I was really surprised reading Evan McDonald's story, how many states um, just basically said have a decentralized approach to this. But there are some better plans. New Jersey seems to have one. It's letting all their registers pre-register for the vaccine online. And the state's currently vaccinating healthcare workers and long-term facility residents. Anyone over 65 will be eligible next week. And they can pre-register and make an appointment through a list of providers uh, with the state, which seems to make a whole lot of sense. In New York, um, where they're vaccinating healthcare workers, residents of long-term care facilities, and people over 65, they have an app, actually. It's called an Am I Eligible app that directs residents uh, to a list of providers, including hospitals, health centers, pharmacies, and doctor's offices, where they can schedule an appointment. However, it could be 12 weeks or more before they get one, but at least they're they're on a list somewhere. Texas, I was pretty impressed with their plan. Um, they're distributing vaccine doses all over the place, but they have a map on their website. And they began these vaccine shipments to large hubs that could have the capacity to vaccinate more than 100,000 people per week once enough doses are available. They want to streamline the distribution, make it easier to sign up for a vaccine appointment. Well, getting back to Ohio, I haven't assigned this story yet. I forgot to mention it. But with with you having to go to all the different providers, I forget how many there in Cuyahoga County. Was it 80 or something? Yeah, close to 90. Uh, So so can you game the system by registering at all of them and just waiting for the first one to give you a shot? And this question comes up. My wife is in the 1B area. She's a teacher. And we're presuming she's going to get it at Solon, but she also has registered through our medical provider. And it just struck me, well, you could register at your medical provider. You could register at the drugstore. You could register with the county. So so could you have all the people in 1B basically gaming the system by registering everywhere and, and jamming it at every place? It's one of the drawbacks of not having a central place well, where it's it's organized. That was actually asked at the uh, press conference yesterday that the governor and the governor admitted that that could happen. He, he's you know, this one guy said, my dad's over 80. I'm going to go and I'm going to register him wherever I can. And DeWine admitted that that's going to happen. And he said, but you only want one dose. So when you get an appointment, I hope you're going to cancel everything else. But I mean, I can't <laughs> see that people are going to be like, oh, I went through all this work to get him. I'm going to go through all the same work to, co- to contact no, people and say, no, I don't need it. So you're right. I, I mean, hopefully there's some kind of built in like that. If you you, you get a, a, an appointment and you don't respond, then it goes to the next person in list. But, you know, DeWine admitted this is challenging. He did say that we're trying this out with the first week. And he kind of made it sound like we'll, we'll see how it goes and maybe we'll have to make adjustments. He did mention they are starting to work on a centralized registry. You're like, oh, OK, you, you could have done that like four or five months ago, but yeah. It's, yeah. It's a, we're at a staggering point where we've built the system where you're just gaming it. The other thing that is striking is most of these places, people will be registering online and that will leave the have nots behind the people with the poor digital access. So we're building a system where some of the most vulnerable populations, especially in places like Cleveland 
will have many more challenges to get this shot than the people who live in in the Tony suburbs. It's, right. it's especially if they have the time or, or other people that can help them. You know, if you have all your family members searching for you to get a spot, um, I guess in Miami County, they were all gone in an hour for next week for the 80 and up. So but, but Mike Dwight's, but, but some will come online tomorrow. Like nobody even knows when the appointments come available. So if you have the ability to have the time and have people help you, you're going to be a lot better off than someone who doesn't know how to work the system, doesn't have family to help, and doesn't have good access. But, but we also know that black people are more vulnerable to the virus. And, you know, I just, if DeWine has stood up over and over again saying we got to deal with the, the, the divide, we're creating a divide. I mean, I guarantee you somebody living in Beechwood is going to have a far easier time of getting this vaccine than somebody living in Glenville or Huff. And what kind of system is that? I mean, what, what, there's no thought given to that, to that issue. It's just, it's a, it's a surprise. I mean, that's a question we can ask him next week. Have you considered how this will divide the haves and have nots this week in the CLE. So who are the Ohio Republicans that don't want to walk through metal detectors at the Capitol? Jane Coon, this one's kind of mind boggling because a week ago there were people that it looks like were going in to do them harm. They wanted to harm people in Congress. So the authorities there have said, we got to keep bad people out of, out of the Capitol. We got to protect you folks. And yet, a whole bunch of Republicans are refusing <laughs> to follow those rules, and they're adamant that this is an abuse of their their whatever it is, their authority. Who are they in Ohio? Who are the people in Ohio saying they don't want these protections? Well, <clears throat> one of them is is Bob Gibbs of Holmes County, who's just incensed about it, and apparently he was observed going around the metal detectors. But Sabrina Eaton um, talked to him, and uh, I, I should first of all state that. Nancy Pelosi, the the House Speaker, was was the one who ordered the metal detectors to be installed because there is a rule, even though House members are allowed to have their guns like in the Capitol in their offices, they're not allowed to bring them onto the House floor. So this is this was done to make sure that nobody was bringing their gun onto the House floor. Anyway, uh, Gibbs just says this is just. Uh, uh, appalling and it's it's not necessary and why are our democratic colleagues so afraid of their republican colleagues and um he said you know we have all these other access points it doesn't make any sense it's it's fear-mongering and it it's not healthy he said it impedes our ability to do our jobs he said he got off the elevator to to go to a vote like at 7:30 at night and the line was backed up to the elevator which you know, is bad for social distancing. And like, what if you need to leave the house floor to take a phone call or go to the restroom? And then you got to go through the detectors all, all over again. So well, anyway, if you're not wearing a mask, but, you don't want to wait in line. And, you know, these are the same people <laughs> that are the anti-maskers. Right. And then, um, but others like, you know, Dave Joyce, who's also a Republican, he said he's happy to comply with whatever the rules are. And, um, Tim Ryan said he thinks this is totally appropriate. He's a Democrat. Um, but, of course, Jim Jordan uh, railed about this, I think, on the House floor about being a violation of, you know, First Amendment, Second Amendment, you name it. So, Okay. Well, <laughs> I, it, it's kind of mind-boggling. They were all cowering a week ago, worried about getting, you know, taken away and, and harmed, and yet they don't want the protections that seem like, you know, we all do this when we go through a flight. 
What's this week in the CLE? What is the latest news of the spread of the coronavirus coming from our sewage? Chris Ranaski, we've been talking for months about how sewage testing is an early indicator of the coming surges of the virus. This is more of a look back story that Pete Krauss did, but it was telling. Right. So there there were spiking levels of coronavirus RNA detected in mid to late December at sewage treatment plants around Cuyahoga County which suggested a lack of social distancing in the days leading up to the holidays, which may have resulted in an increase of the local spread of the disease. Um, However, the most recent samples suggest that the infections are now on their way down or at least holding steady in the county. Um, And, and so we, they, they've looked at um, what they, they call the viral gene copies detected at 32 of the more than 60 plants being monitored around the state and, and, and they're starting to see it kind of level off, which, which might, which might mean good news. I mean, it might mean that the county is, is sort of heading in, in the, the right direction. Um, the, the monitoring network, which includes state health department and other agencies has, has been tracking these viral gene copies and sewage and treatment plants because it actually, you, you detected in sewage, uh, several days before it act, you would actually be symptomatic. So, or, or before people are symptomatic and you would start to see, you know, increases or decreases throughout the, the community. So this is actually some good news. Well, you're the lucky guy who gets to answer the question you don't have an answer to. Oh, great. Is, is the sewage able to detect the variants? Like if we suddenly had the United Kingdom variant or this new Ohio variant that's popped up this week at the Wexner Medical Center, would sewage be able to tell us that that's on the rise? Does does the RNA fragment make that clear or does, is it something else that would show that? And I bet you don't know the answer to that. I don't know, but we, we should certainly <laughs> ask that question. Okay, um, we'll get Pete Krauss on it. <laughs> You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Monday is a national holiday, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So what are the Rock Hall Art Museum and Edwin's Restaurant on Shaker Square planning to do to celebrate it? This is not your normal year, Laura Johnston, because of the coronavirus. A lot of the things that usually happen on Martin Luther King Day can't happen. Uh, some, But there is there are some things for people to do. Right. A lot of the events that um, institutions have had in the past, like the Cleveland Orchestra, Tri-C, the library, Cleveland Public Library, have all gone virtual this year. But um, the Cleveland Museum of Art and the Rock Hall are planning to reopen to the public for the first time since cases started skyrocketing in November. And if you remember, um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day is usually also when all the museums in Cleveland are free. And there was a big ice fest at North Coast Harbor that would you know, attract thousands of people. The Rock Hall is going to continue the free public admission on Monday. You do have to get tickets in advance. And of course, the Museum of Art is always free. They are not planning any in-person events, but um, just allowing public to come in again for the first time. Edwin's event is much more specific to Martin Luther King Jr. Day. The restaurant is aiming to give um, about a thousand meals with some of King's favorite uh, foods, including black eyed peas, chicken and cornbread out. And they're working with uh, kids from Randall Park High School and using their parking lot on Northfield Road to have like a drive up, no contact, no contact um, meal distribution where people will be able to to get a, a good, nice meal. And, you know, obviously that Edwin's is where um, the, uh, founder Brandon Cr- 
I'm going to say his name wrong, but Krasowski. Yeah, is he gives formerly incarcerated individuals a second chance. Yeah, Brendan is a is a visionary. What he's done with that block or blocks that he's set up on over there, it's really kind of amazing. His butcher shop and all the other things he's got going on, uh, a model for uh, second chance. It's a it's a great program. And man, giving out all those meals that's a big deal. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Why has the Ohio legislature resisted virtual hearings on legislation? And what is the latest effort to change that? Jen Kuhn, this legislature just seems bent on exposing their members and anybody else as much as possible to the (laughs) coronavirus. They they don't want masks. They don't want to have virtual hearings. I mean, what is wrong with these people? Have they not looked at the statistics of how many people are dying? Well, do you want me to answer that, Chris? Um, yeah, I, yeah the, the Republicans who control the legislature, as you said, have resisted a lot of attempts by Democrats and others to mitigate the spread of, of coronavirus, including a requirement to wear masks in the House. But in this case, um, they, they do broadcast their sessions and many committee hearings on the Ohio channel, but they, but they require people who want to testify about legislation to drive to Columbus and show up in person, um, although they do allow people to submit written testimony. Uh, but a coalition of groups, I'd say mostly left-leaning groups, held a news conference on Thursday, and they're calling on the legislature to allow virtual testimony during the pandemic so that vulnerable people don't have to risk their health to to come testify. So they wrote a letter to House Speaker Bob Cup and Senate President Matt Hoffman you know, and they said the this prohibition on virtual testimony limits public participation on key issues. You know, we got a lot of big ones coming up like school funding reform and the state budget. And it disproportionately excludes Ohioans who are black or poor or those with compromised immune systems. And they said, you know, offering written testimony doesn't really allow them to have an exchange with lawmakers or, or answer their questions. And, you know, other states have done this and even local governments didn't do this, but but not Ohio. I guess Cup said he's considering it, but it but it raises logistical issues. Like if you open it up to everybody virtually, it just might make it unmanageable, given the number of people who might want to participate in that way. But, but that's just not true. I mean, you you can control who speaks. You could do prior registration. Almost every other form of government has figured this out. It, it, it's kind of mind boggling. But but it does feel like it's the continuing denial by the Republicans in the state house that the coronavirus is a problem. You know, they've they've challenged Mike DeWine on putting orders in to protect Ohioans. They like said they won't wear masks. And it's just it's bizarre. It's like they've got their heads in the sand. No, no. Coronavirus isn't real. We can continue doing business as usual. And some of their own members have been felled by the, by the thing. It's, it's just uh, oh, yeah. and it's not service. I mean, you're supposed to be elected to serve the people. The people do not want to gather in your state house where they could get the coronavirus. So give them a chance. And it's it just, you know, everybody said Cup would be such a great, great guy. I'm, I have yet to see it. We still haven't repealed HP6. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Don't go there. Yeah, I have to say, I, I like that you think that their heads are in the in in the sand because <laughs> I know where their heads are. I know exactly where their heads are. Kurt Swinowski, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to This Week in the CLE. All right, that's a wrap. So uh, you guys have weekend plans? I'm going skiing again. 
when you spend as much money you, as you do on equipment and passes, I expect you're going to be skiing just about every waking hour. You're not working. And I actually could see you working while you're careening. Oh, what do you think mountain. I was doing on the chairlift last Sunday when you called me? <laughs> uh, Chris? Oh, I'm going to be sitting at home in, in absolute terror of <laughs> watching watching TV uh, and seeing what happens in D.C. over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, that it is going to be a little bit hair-raising to see how this develops. Jane Cahoon, you got big plans? I, I might be watching in terror to see what happens to the Browns at the hands of Kansas City. <laughs> but uh, no, no, I'm I'm optimistic like you are. And uh, so I will be watching the Browns game. I will be, I got a little home project in, in mind to do this weekend. I'm giving up our sports manager, Dave Campbell, here. But he does think, because Kansas City is one of the weakest teams against the run, that there is a path for the Browns. Go um, Nick Chubb. So Go Kareem Hunt. So he's a bit uh, looking at this thinking, you know, just maybe. I mean, if the Browns came out of the second week of the playoffs with a victory, uh, you know, we're, we're, the city will just, you know. I mean, it, it, we. I think Chris was right. He said it earlier. We would see scenes like we saw after the Cavs won the championship. I mean, that just would be be unbelievable. I started getting um, inquiries last week from book publishers saying, hey, if the Browns win the Super Bowl, you want to do a book? And it's like, okay, they, they won a playoff game. It's, it's a long way to go. Let's, let's, let's not go there. Make it a game at a time, okay? Yeah, I mean, we still have a few more games to play. We'll have to see. It's exciting. And you don't have to stay up all night to watch it this time. It's uh, mid-afternoon Sunday. All right. Well, thanks, Laura. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Chris. We will not have an episode on Monday. We will be taking the Martin Luther King holiday. Thank you for listening. <laughs>